Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Let's rock. Let's rock. Let's rock. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Oh, the Steelers have a new starting quarterback, and he's trying to have a little fun with Russell Wilson. That's been played out. I've seen that happen a couple of times over the course of the last month or so, ever since Russell Wilson did his Let's ride photo shoot. Mitchell Trubisky rides into the starting job. As we expect, we'll be talking about that over the course of the next two hours. But first, we say good morning to Shereen Williams. Thank you for joining us today. Chris Sims, unavailable because it's 4 a.m. in California. Not that that's going to stop Miles Simmons tomorrow, who will be in the co-host chair. 4 a.m. local time out in the Pacific Southwest, I guess. Uh, where it's extremely hot, and I'm glad I'm not there. It had been very hot in Texas. I haven't heard anything lately. You know how it goes. You only hear about it when it's really bad, and then you just don't hear about it when it's normal again. So I assume it's normal again in Texas because I haven't heard it's really hot in a while. Shereen, give us the weather update in Dallas. It's awesome right now. You know, we've lived through all those 100 degrees, and then we're getting the payoff right now, Mike. Low 90s, upper 80s. Perfect. I don't know how long it'll stay like that, but I wish it would stay forever. Low 90s, upper 80s is not perfect as far as I'm concerned. In fact, we haven't had many days here when it was in the 90s. We had one recently, though, where it was like 91, and that felt like stepping into hell. I can only imagine what it's like (laughs) in California. One of the viewers emailed yesterday that it was 104. I saw it was 109 over the weekend. Last I checked, the highs for today and tomorrow are 99, so at least it's not triple digits in Los Angeles. But uh, heat, an issue, at least SoFi Stadium is covered, and I assume there's some sort of climate control system. But regardless, it's going to be hot in Los Angeles. Another reason I'm glad 
I'm not there. Instead, I'm sitting about 100 miles south of Pittsburgh as we kick off the day before the start of the season edition of PFT Live on Peacock Series XM85. There's the bang. And I think I figured it out. Did I do it right? Yes. I finally figured out the whole left, right, not really a mirror type thing because I was doing this, which is wrong, although to me it looks like it's right. This is right. And yes, I can be taught. Anyway, hello to the podcast audience, our good friends watching on Sky Sports. Apparently, we're live, and maybe it's Monday and Tuesday next week. I'm not sure, but at some point, we're actually live, not five hours later. So good luck bleeping the various things that we say that perhaps we shouldn't say. Not that we have to worry about Shireen yet. I'm doing my best to corrupt her. All right, again, I'm sitting here 100 miles south of Pittsburgh. That was the segue to what's going on in Pittsburgh. And what was going on yesterday was a press conference from Mike Tomlin, head coach of the team. The problem is the audio crapped out about a minute into the thing. But we got the most important information before technical difficulties derailed the Mike Tomlin press conference. Here he is. Mitch Trubisky is our starting quarterback and our captain. Um, Man, we're just really comfortable with what Mitch has shown us. Um, he's a guy that came to us with, with franchise quarterback experience, if you will. He's comfortable in those shoes. He's been the focal point of a football team in an organization before. He's had success in doing so. Like I mentioned when we acquired him, he took the Bears to the playoffs two out of four years. He has a winning record as a starting quarterback. Uh, those things were attractive to us. Uh, his athleticism and mobility were attractive to us. Um, he took care of the football in stadium. All our quarterbacks did, and, and, and I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. Um, it's good to come to decisions based on what people are doing as opposed to what people are not doing. Look, it, it, all, it all makes sense. It was all leaning in that direction, Shireen. It was Mitch Trubisky's job to lose, and he did nothing to lose it. None of the three quarterbacks for the Pittsburgh Steelers did anything to jeopardize their position. There wasn't a turnover from any of them in the three preseason games. So yesterday's confirmation, and we already knew because Mitch Trubisky was named the team captain, kind of awkward if you're not the starting quarterback and you're a team captain. We know from the Monday depth chart, we'll get to that in a second, that Trubisky was QB1. So not a surprise yesterday that Trubisky's the guy, and he'll be the guy until he's not the guy, Shereen. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You talked about all three quarterbacks playing well. You're right. No interceptions for them. Seven touchdowns, 113 passer rating. All three played really, really well in this competition. And if it came down to that last game, then Mitchell Trubisky did everything right to to say, look, I am the starting quarterback. He just played so well in the entire preseason. Started all three preseason games and just really closed the door on any thought that Kenny Pickett was going to be the guy. 283 passing yards, two touchdowns in the preseason. I thought when he signed with the Steelers, Mike, that he was a perfect fit for the Steelers, and the Steelers were a perfect fit for him. They remind me a lot. They and the 49ers, to me, are a lot alike in that they have really good teams, and they had a question at quarterback or still have a question at quarterback. How well is the quarterback going to play? The, the 49ers obviously went with the younger guy who has less experience. The Steelers went with the older guy who has the experience. He's been a pro bowler. He has two playoff starts, Mike. 
I think he's underrated. He may be one of the most underrated players in the NFL. I just think he's a really good quarterback, and I think he's going to fit this team perfectly because I think they're a really good team. Remember, as free agency approached, there was this buzz that Trubisky was going to be in significant demand, even though he did nothing last year as the backup to Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. But I do think it's reflection on what he did during his time in Chicago, as you said, four years, two playoff appearances after they traded up from number three to number two to get him in 2017. I don't think Matt Nagy, the coach of the team for three of the seasons that Trubisky was there, ever really believed in him, ever really made an effort to adapt the offense to fit the player. Instead, you adapt the player to fit the offense, and that never works, ever, ever. And I know coaches have their systems, but when you have players that you believe in, and maybe that was the ultimate message that Matt Nagy didn't believe in Mitchell Trubisky, but if you have a guy you believe in, you make the system fit the player and you do the things the player does well. And we know that Trubisky can do some things well. This is just an example of what happens in the NFL. When a team struggles we all, I don't say all of us, but the, the, the narrative becomes the quarterback sucks because the team struggles. It's possible that a team can struggle and the quarterback is still good. And in the case of the Bears, they went to the playoffs two out of three years. So it wasn't as if they were one of the worst teams in the NFL. They just weren't as good as they wanted to be. And that regime led by Matt Nagy I don't think really wanted him so he got cast off into the wilderness and now he lands in Pittsburgh and you know he 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 earned the opportunity to be the week one starter where it goes from here is now completely up to him yeah today I'm not saying five years from now although it might be the case but today he's a better quarterback than Justin Fields is and the Bears would be better off if they had Mitch Trubisky on their roster. The last season, the Bears went 6-3 and three with him as a starter, Mike. He was a really good quarterback for the Bears. He might become a great quarterback. We'll, we'll see about that. The jury's still out. But I would put him in the upper half of, of the NFL quarterbacks. And I am surprised that he didn't have a bigger market the last two years when he hit free agency. But this is a guy who, when he... When he was drafted in the first round, he started 12 games that first season, Mike. And they went 4-8. and eight. And then he became their starter. And then there was all in 2020, whatever they did with their quarterback situation, which, which was a really bad thing for everybody there. But so he leaves and he goes to Buffalo and he throws eight passes last year. And maybe that was good for him sitting and watching and learning because he hadn't had that. He just played, 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 except when he was injured or benched or whatever the Bears were doing with their quarterback situation. But he got to Buffalo and he got to watch Josh Allen. He got to be on a really good team. And, and I think he probably learned a lot. We all learn a lot by watching other people who are really good at something. I think we do anyway. We try to. And so that's what he did. And so I, I just think that's going to help him that year of sitting out and doing what he did last season behind Josh Allen, I think it's going to help him. And I think it's going to help the Steelers. And you know what, Mike? They can have a quarterback problem. What if this guy leads them to, to big places this season, which they have the team to do that. They've got a real fun quarterback problem that they'll have to deal with after this season. Hey, as I always say, the only good problem to have is no problem whatsoever. And it's going to take a lot to get the locals 
to abandon ship on Kenny Pickett and fully embrace no Mitchell question. Trubisky. That's going to be one of the challenges going forward. I do have to make one comment about your observation of Mitchell Trubisky being in the top half of all NFL quarterbacks. That, that, that look, It's one thing to do that in isolation. I have a feeling if we would do this exercise – for all NFL quarterbacks, you would have you three have fourths of them in the top half. You, 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 because I, I, I've done that before, like with, hey, this guy's a top 10 quarterback. That guy's a top 10 quarterback. That guy is a top 10 quarterback. You might be. And you right. end up with 20 top 10 quarterbacks. That's the problem. But still, he's good enough to play and he's good enough to start. And I defer to the wisdom and the expertise of Mike Tomlin in understanding who his best assets are going forward and also he's got his finger on the pulse of the team because unless liberties were taken with the counting of the ballots which may not be as unthinkable in some (laughs) circles as it once was he won fair and square the vote of the players to be a team captain so that tells you where the locker room currently is and these guys want to win these are veteran players who aren't interested in taking a step back and having an experimental year with a rookie quarterback. Now, if Mitchell Trubisky gets injured, then Kenny Pickett gets thrust into the fray, just like Ben Roethlisberger 18 years ago. And even then, Alan Fanica, now Hall of Fame offensive lineman, bristled at the idea of Ben Roethlisberger joining the lineup. They want a guy that has been there, has done that, and can help them win games. One last point, too, because I remember seeing this at the time when the Mitchell Trubisky contract details came out. There were people who were too smart for their own good, thinking that the incentives in there would actually hurt Mitchell Trubisky. He's got a $1 million payment if he takes 60% of the offensive snaps, and it also kicks in a $1 million roster bonus next year. So he's got $2 million riding on that. He's got $1.5 million if he takes 70% of the offensive snaps. Plus, it kicks in another $4 million in roster bonus next year, non-guaranteed. They could always move on from him, but either way, that money comes into play. And if it's 80%, $2 million. Playoffs, $4 million. Look, that's money the Steelers would be happy to pay. I don't think the Steelers put those terms in there thinking now we can really screw the guy. I think in lieu of actually giving him more money as he walked through the door, they're making him earn it. That's what this is about. And if he does these things, if he checks those boxes, if he unlocks those payments, good, good. Take our money. That means you've done what you you led us to believe you thought you could do. It's the ultimate carrot for a quarterback who's trying to lay the foundation for a second act that could be a significant one. And, and if if they decide that they want to turn to Kenny Pickett after Mitchell Trubisky has done great things, they, they get a great return. He goes off somewhere else and he's the starter. It's a win-win across the board. So I never looked at those incentives and thought these would be a problem for Mitchell Trubisky. They're a non-issue. And now he gets a chance to go earn them. Yeah, and Mike, you made the point, and it's a great point, about the fans in Pittsburgh and who they want at quarterback. There's no question they want Kenny Pickett. So this now puts a ton of pet pressure on Mitch Trubisky to, to play and play well early because the fans, as I said last week and the week before, they're going to boo him for every interception he has, every time they don't score. Just a high amount of pressure, pressure on Mitch Trubisky to make this happen early, to win early, 
and to keep Kenny Pickett on the sideline. And if he doesn't do that, the fans are going to be clamoring, and eventually they are going to turn to Kenny Pickett. This does look like a bridge situation for Mitch Trubisky. He may be somewhere else next next year, if not next year, at least the year after that. But I like him, and I like this Steelers team's chances to win this season. And I think Mitch Trubisky will be able to hold off Kenny Pickett, maybe not the whole entire season, but I think they're going to win enough early that, that he's going to keep Kenny Pickett on the sideline. They're on the road this weekend at Cincinnati, which is going to be a stiff test for a Steelers team that is used to being the top dog in that rivalry. And I, I think the Steelers are going to win that game. Sorry, Bengals fans. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. The Bengals took the Vikings to overtime week one of last year and narrowly won the game. I think the Steelers are a different proposition altogether. Week two, though, is a hell of an opportunity for Mitchell Trubisky because week two is when the Patriots come to town. The Steelers hate the Patriots. Steelers fans hate the Patriots. Twice the Patriots came to what once was, and in my mind and heart, will always be Heinz Field and won AFC Championship games. There's that vague specter of Spygate hovering over both of those losses, particularly in 2004. There's a lot of animosity and venom toward the New England Patriots. If Trubisky can beat the Patriots, and this is the year, especially in September, to beat the Patriots, that may, that may give him a stronger hold. And then you look at some of these other games coming up. Thursday night at Cleveland, no Deshaun Watson. There's an opportunity for Trubisky. Then come the Jets. They could be, dare I say, 4-0. If they get past the Bengals, I think they will be 4-0 when they go to Buffalo, a place where they won in week one of the 2021 season. So they could get off to a good start, and that will help Trubisky. And you mentioned the booze. You know, he's already heard the chance for Kenny Pickett at the preseason finale against the Detroit Lions. I wonder, Shireen, what is worse? Being booed for your own failure of performance or hearing the name of your backup relentlessly cheered as they try to speak into existence your benching? I wonder which one's worse. They're, they're probably the same. I don't know for me which would be worse. Hopefully I never have to experience it. And I can't imagine a context in which I would, although what that means there will be. I, I, but, but he's got to be ready for both. Booze and chance. Kenny, 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 if he doesn't get it done the way that they hope he will. I think the boos are worse because that means you did something to earn those boos where if they're just chanting Kenny, he was still playing pretty well when they were chanting Kenny. So I think the boos are worse for him than the chance of Kenny, Mike. But, but he can at least tell himself that they're chanting true Fisky, get it? <laughs> they weren't booing. Uh, uh, okay, boo. so but here's a boo before you boo me. Here's a boo for <laughs> the Steelers. And I hate to say this because I love Burt Lawton. I don't know who put the depth chart together. They had an interesting little adventure, and I don't reject this. There are certain fish that land in the boat that I am eager to throw back. I like a good oddball story, and it doesn't get more odd as the season approaches than the team putting out a depth chart that is incorrect and not rectifying the error in this world that moves at the speed of real time for a full freaking day. That's what happened 
not with the starting job, but with the backup job. Monday, number one, Mitch Trubisky. Number two, not Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph. Number three, Pickett. That was the way it stayed all day long into Tuesday. Then, oh, wait, here's a new depth chart. We've had a change. Even though we haven't had a practice, we've had a change. We haven't had a game. We've had a change. Now Pickett is two and Rudolph is three. Yesterday, Mike Tomlin explained the circumstances that resulted in the quick change to the depth chart. Really pleased with the growth and development of Kenny. That's why he's listed as number two. Um, I thought his acceleration of, of development really took off once we stepped into stadiums and once we start stepping into stadiums. Um, his decision-making, the fluidity of it, um, his competitive spirit, um, his, pin, his pinpoint accuracy, all of those things I thought really came to the forefront once we started coming into stadiums, and I thought that he grew and grew um, at, at a really fast pace once we got into stadiums. And I also think it's reasonable to expect that growth and development to continue as we push into the regular season. Uh, we're excited about where he is and, and the ground that he's covered to this point and the ground that he's going to continue to cover. Mike, there was a depth chart that was released yesterday that had Mason as the number two today. Kenny, just what, what's behind the discrepancy? It was a clerical error. You know, um, that's how the depth chart was listed at the start of training camp. So the cut and paste component was the cut and paste component. I know you were hoping for a little bit more colorful explanation, but it is what it is. That's what happened. I'm not sure what that laughter was. I know for me, the laughter is along the lines of, I think there's some BS floating around in that explanation because sure. And, and I've had people say, oh, it was Labor Day. It was Labor Day. Well, Somebody was working on Monday to post the depth chart. I don't think they ran out the door, went straight to the river and jumped into their boat and disappeared for the rest of the day. Also, I have a feeling things can be edited through whatever mobile device you happen to have. If it was a clerical error, they surely knew about it because it sparked a reaction in Pittsburgh. People were confused. Their their local hero is third on the depth chart. What did he do to deserve that? We'd at least like to think he's the guy who's going to enter the game and not Mason Rudolph, who, frankly, we've all seen enough of over the past several years to know that he should not be the guy who's ready to play on a moment's notice. So they knew about it all day Monday, and they didn't change it until Tuesday. Here's my theory. And it's really not a high-level conspiracy theory. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think they put Mason Rudolph out there at number two, just as one last little jostling of any other team out there that may want to trade for him. If you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence, if you're contemplating a trade for Mason Rudolph and you're not yet offering the Steelers what they want and you see they've got him at QB2 and you think that may be the thing that gets someone else to jump into the pool, I better be the one to jump into the pool. I really do think that's why they did it. I think it was a last-ditch effort to get someone to trade for Rudolph before – Everything kind of locks in and settles down as it relates to the preparations for week one. Shereen, am I crazy? You know what, Mike? As your conspiracy theories go, that's actually a pretty good one. And oh, it's gee, actually thanks. pretty plausible. <laughs> that so, one's not so as crazy as buy- all the other ones. No, and I will buy that one. That makes perfect sense. Because I, I was sitting here when I was going down the rundown last night, and I'm thinking, you know, I really am surprised that Mason Rudolph is still there. Because I thought, like, Detroit lost both their backup quarterbacks. I said, 
yeah, a team like Detroit will go out and trade for Mason Rudolph. So I am surprised that he's still on their roster. So that actually makes sense, Mike. I will buy that one. Lose implies they wanted to keep. They politely or otherwise told their backup quarterbacks to get the hell out. And I know locally the Steelers fans and talk radio, they, they'd been pushing this idea of Rudolph to Detroit and and it may just be the Steelers want too much. The Steelers are saying, hey, we got we have an, yeah. we have a valuable component here that if you want this guy, you have to give us more than just chump change. The problem is look at Gardner Minshew last year. Remember what the Jaguars got for him? A sixth round yeah. pick. There isn't a lot of yeah. value there that teams are willing to devote to a backup quarterback, even though they should, because if you may need that backup quarterback, as the Eagles learned five years ago, that backup quarterback may be the difference between losing in the playoffs and winning the Super Bowl if your starter makes an untimely exit like Carson Wentz did in December of that year. So that's where we are. It's Trubisky, it's Pickett, it's Rudolph. They're carrying three guys on the 53-man roster. Most teams would prefer to have only two and have a developmental guy on the practice squad. That's not the case. And we'll see if Mason Rudolph at some point is moved by the Steelers before week eight. They're not going to cut him, at least not in the short term, because he got a $2 million signing bonus to re-up with the team. That was one of the moves they made before they knew they were going to have Pickett. I think they may have redone Rudolph before they even managed to land Mitchell Trubisky. I'd have to go back and look at that timeline again. But but Rudolph, clearly the holdover from last year's depth chart. All right. Uh, here's one from the what the hell took so long. I And... I I don't I don't know which teams do and don't routinely retire jerseys. The Cowboys still don't have anyone who's officially retired, but they have jerseys they won't use like the one hanging behind you. The Steelers had never retired the jersey worn by the great Franco Harris who capped his rookie year of 1972 with the immaculate reception. So on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. They are finally retiring number 32. That was an announcement made yesterday by team owner Art Rooney, and it becomes only the third number retired by the Steelers. Ernie Stotner's number 70 and Mean Joe Green's number 75. Good Lord, they haven't retired 12 for Terry Bradshaw. Not that anyone has worn 12 that I know of in the past 40 years since Bradshaw retired. I'd like to think at some point 12 gets set aside for good as well but Shireen 32 an iconic number in Steelers history and I suspect no one has worn it since Franco retired and no one will ever wear it again yeah Mike I am anti-retired jerseys because jersey numbers because we see it all the time and and I know you you've pointed this out many times we see the unretirement of the jersey in many cases, but I actually love this one as retired jerseys go um, because I just think he's earned that. I don't think anybody else should wear that number. And when we voted the, on that Centennial class a couple, few years ago, that was the number one play in NFL history. And I voted it number one on my ballot as the best play in NFL history. It was in, just in such a big game and so unexpected and, and all those things. But he was just such a great player for the Steelers and really revived the franchise. That play made such a huge difference in the franchise's history and turned them around. 
And now they've just become this consistent model of success over the years, year after year after year. They're always there. They're always competing, always contending. And a lot of that goes back to Franco Harris and that one play in their history. So I love this. And, and I love that they're going to play the Raiders. Uh, I think it's on the exact anniversary, right, of the play uh, late in the season. And that's when he's going to be honored. It's just going to be fantastic. It's actually a Saturday game, the 24th. The day before that is the anniversary, the 23rd. And you use an interesting word there, revive. That implies there was anything there to be revived. This team had never done anything in 40 years of existence. They had not done anything. They bumbled their way through the dregs of the NFL at a time when there weren't that many teams. You had to work hard to suck back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And then they turn it around with the hiring of Chuck Knoll and Ermine Joe Green. Here comes Terry Bradshaw. Here comes Franco Harris. Then the draft of 74. You know, people think they won the Super Bowl in 1972. They were still two years away from winning their first Super Bowl. They lost to the Dolphins the following week in the AFC Championship game. That was the year the Dolphins went 17-0. and And the Steelers actually hosted that game because back in those days, merit did not determine where the playoff games were played. It was just a rotation. The Miami Dolphins had to go to Pittsburgh that following week after the Immaculate Reception game and beat the Steelers to advance to the Super Bowl. So uh, it was still two more years. and It was that draft of 74 that laid the foundation for the four Super Bowls. But it was that moment that everything kind of changed for the Steelers and the clouds parted and there was a sense that they were moving in the right direction. And indeed they were. And on retired jerseys, I'm with you on retired jerseys, but I, I've like, I've, I've got this thing and it's not going to be my problem, but like, where's all the garbage going to go? Right. Eventually you run out of space. Yeah, right. And and I'm, and I'm the same way with these numbers. Eventually there's only a hundred numbers unless they move to triple digits, which would be very interesting what do you do? At some point, you've got to unretire these numbers. Like, I'm sure there are Steelers fans that see Ernie Stotner. I would say most Steelers fans at this point, given the current demographics of the population, would see Ernie Stotner and think, who the hell is Ernie Stotner? There, will there be fans, uh, you know, at some point who say, who the hell is Mean Joe Green? You're going to go have to go read a history book to find out who Mean Joe Green is at some point. I mean, if the NFL is around for 500 years, people aren't going to be talking about the Immaculate Reception. So that, that's what becomes odd to me. The whole, the whole idea that you're permanently setting aside this number that in the grand scheme of things before too long, people are going to be like, maybe we'd like to have that number back. So I, I, I agree with the concept of not retiring them at all because it is a very slippery slope. And we've seen teams that have, they've got way too many jerseys retired. Yeah. Do you like this one though, Mike? I do like this one. I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm temporarily abandoning my position because me too for me. And I tell this story all the time, which means I've probably told it, you know, over and over again to the same people. I kind of discovered the NFL through the immaculate reception game. And I've written about this at PFT. I, we were the only house in the neighborhood that, that had, I've talked, I remember sitting in this chair, talking about it on this show, only house in the neighborhood that had, that game on TV, because back in those days, the blackout rule applied whether you sold out or you didn't. And somehow, some way, whether it was a quirk in the cable system that we happened to have or we just had 
an old school, top of the house, big metal contraption antenna that picked up a station beyond the bubble. But we had all the grownups in the neighborhood in our front room, shoes on, which was a major, major thing. Shoes on. I mean, (laughs) the president had to be visiting the house for shoes to be on. And when that moment happened, I'm back there playing with Hot Wheels or doing some stupid crap like that. When that moment happened and I see all these grizzled old cigarette smoking, beer drinking adults jumping up and down and hugging each other, I'm thinking, man, whatever that is on TV must be pretty damn good if it makes the grownups act like kids. And seriously, that was the moment that I, I discovered the NFL, even though I ended up not being a Steeler fan, which is a different story altogether. So long story bearable. Yes, I fully support this retirement but no others um the the uh the seahawks may or may not be retiring number three at some point right now i don't think it's a number that they would think very fondly of at least among the fan base because russell wilson is gone but he's coming back right out of the gates week one russell and company return to seattle to take on a seahawks team that isn't quite as good let's just say as some of the teams wilson was on here's pete carroll talking about the prospect of facing the guy who played quarterback for the team for 10 years in week one of the 2022 season. Well, I had different reactions. You know, I had two different reactions to when I realized, you know, that this was the opener in time. I thought it was awesome, you know, that, that it was, it was, you know, seeing how it uh, does exactly what I'm saying. This is a great challenge for us to stay focused and to be on it just for all of the natural things. Playing on Monday night is huge, you know, and, and uh, for, for guys, particularly young guys. They've been watching Monday night football for their whole, their whole young life, and now they've got to go ahead and, and perform under the circumstances. So, um, it's it's a we're very fortunate to be you know to be playing in this setting and hopefully it'll we'll learn and the lessons will be there for us to take with us the rest of the season. I do have uh, as much information as you could have. You know I've never probably known a player any any closer than 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 knowing Russ and his quarterbacking and his play and mentality and all of that. Um, so um, you know he knows he knows me too. You know he knows us. So um, we'll see what happens. Early this week, Kevin Stefanski the. Coach of the Browns said it's overrated to have that knowledge. Who benefits? The Seahawks know Russ. Russ knows the Seahawks. I, I, I think all that matters is right now the Seahawks aren't very good. And the Broncos, while not on the upper echelon that some of their fans would zealously argue they should be regarded as being, they're still better than the Seahawks right now. And I think that's all that really matters. And that's why they put this game week one, Mike. I mean, the league knows, right? If you wait even week two and the Seahawks get blown out in week one and the Broncos lose, all of a sudden you've got more of a dud in week two. And certainly if you wait till week 15, it really could be a, a bad game. So this was a perfect opportunity for this game to be played. And I, I read this in Bob Condota of the Seattle Times yesterday, and I hadn't really thought about it, but he's completely accurate. This could be the first and the last time that Russell Wilson ever returns to Seattle, assuming that he stays in Denver, depending on how that rotation works out, depending on if they go to 18 games, Mike. But you think about that. This could be the last time he plays as an opponent uh, in Seattle. It is possible that that happens. Stunning to me. It's once every eight years. I just hadn't thought about it. Yeah. It's once every eight years that you go as part of the rotation for the teams in the divisions in the other conference. And they set that up 20 years ago to make sure that if you're a season ticket holder, 
over the course of eight years, you're going to see every team in the NFL because it used to not be that way. And there were some teams that just never made it to a given stadium. So then there's also a possibility to be the 17th game. There's a possibility if there is an 18th game. But, yeah, he may never be back there. Again, eight years, a lot happens. He'll be early 40s by then, 41 going on 42, and we'll see. Yeah. You know, he said he wants to play until he's 45. It's easy to say when you're 33. We'll see how he feels when he's 38, 39, yeah. and 40. Uh, but this will be his first, even if it's last, it will definitely be his first time back. Here is new offensive captain. They have one offensive captain. It had been Russell Wilson. It's now receiver Tyler Lockett. Here's Lockett from yesterday on the reception that he hopes Russell Wilson receives. At the end of the day, I get it. It's football. It's competitive. You never want to see people leave. But you got to understand that everybody has to do what's best for them. And that's what you have to be able to learn about this life is you got to cheer people on. You know what I mean? You can't get mad that people go to another team and this, this, and this. And, I mean, we're fans, right? So we learn it the hard way. I'm a fan when it comes to NBA. I get mad when people leave because I want them to stay on the same team, right? But at the end of the day, you got to be able to separate the man from the player. And you got to understand that everybody's trying to do what's best for them. And all you can do is hope that they win and cheer for them to win. And so, I mean, that's really how I feel about it. I think that Seattle should cheer him on, you know, for everything that he's done, brought, helped bring a Super Bowl to this community, all that different type of stuff. Like, he's an amazing guy. Yeah, that's not how it works, though. That's not how it works. By the way, by the way, I do have bad news for anybody who's looking forward to watching that game on Monday night and not having their retinas burned out of their eye sockets because the highlighter green, that, that, that's what the Seahawks are wearing. Get ready for the highlighter green on Monday night. If you're not already prepared, maybe go find an old black and white set somewhere in the attic, maybe over at Grandma's house. Watch it in black and white because anything that's left of your rods and cones will be gone after three more hours of those god-awful, hideous, pathetic. How does anyone like? How does anyone look at that and say, man, that looks great? How, how can you look at that? Do we have the still frame of that horrendous, Ugh. pathetic, awful? Like, what is the worst color we can make our jersey? How about this? That's the winner. That's the absolute worst color we can make it. Let's make it that color, and we'll see it on, on Monday night when Russell Wilson comes back to town, and he'll probably feel better about being gone when he sees it. Shereen, I, there will, here's the problem. Booze carry. Booze find their way through. Even if it's only 5% of the crowd, you're going to hear the booze. There will be people under the cover of the anonymity of being in that crowd who will boo. We know it. We are going to hear booze. The question is, will it just be the smattering? Or will it, it, it won't be the unrelenting every time he was on the field, Brett Favre getting booed at Lambeau Field. That's not going to happen because Russell Wilson didn't no. force his way to an NFC West team. But I still think he will hear some boos. He's going to hear some. And I know the Seattle Storm had a thing where he was in a video to say goodbye to Sue Bird. And there were boos in that crowd recently. I think the majority of people will cheer him before the game when they're showing the tribute video. I assume they'll do something like that. I assume he will be mostly cheered. There will be some boos and he's going to hear them. But when you think of Seattle sports history, Mike, I mean, it's pretty recent that, that they've had major league teams. And he's the guy. He's the number one sports figure in Seattle history. I mean, you, they had Alex Rodriguez, of course, and King Griffey Jr. and Lenny Wilkins and 
some of those people, but he's the one you think of when you think of Seattle sports history. So they should cheer him. He won him a Super Bowl, nearly won him a second Super Bowl. And so I, I, I think fans should do that. I think the majority will do that. But it won't be everyone. You're right. Some are going to boo him because they're going to be mad that, that he talked his way out of Seattle. Well, and, and I think that's the key. When you look at the full scope of his time with the Seahawks and you consider that they rallied around him, they defended him against any criticism that he's maybe a little phony at times, a little too contrived, a little corny, a little goofy. He was their guy. So they they fended off anyone that would dare say those things about him. But now that he talks his way out, and it was something that lingered, it was something they were very angry about any time the topic came up. And then after years of Seahawks fans shouting down people like me, I'd go on KGR Radio and say, hey, look, this guy's not signing another contract. This guy's going to be gone, and they would lose their minds about it. I think once he put them in a position where they ended up looking bad for taking the position he's never leaving, I think you put all that together, and there's going to be some people who are upset and very much looking forward to the opportunity to let him hear it. Because at the end of the day, this wasn't the Seahawks setting him adrift. This was Russell Wilson wanting out and Russell Wilson coming off ultimately as being far more calculated than they would allow themselves to think he was. That's really the key, Shireen. The fans who get it understand that there was a calculation here by Russell Wilson and all that stuff he was saying was BS about wanting to stay for the rest of his career. He was looking for an off-ramp. There's going to be fans, and I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying what they're going to do. I think there's going to be fans who are very upset about it, and this is their opportunity to let him hear it. Yeah, no question, Mike. And now they're rebuilding at the position, and they don't have a long-term starter, it doesn't seem to me, at the position. So, you know, post-Russell Wilson is not probably going to be pretty for the Seahawks, and they're going to blame him for however the season goes if it doesn't go well. And so that's why he's going to hear some booze out of this thing. But you think about what he did bringing a Super Bowl to the city and all the things he did off the field. I mean, this is a Walter Payton man of the year for what he did in that community. He started a charter school, and during COVID he was feeding people, and he just did so much for the Seattle community uh, in more ways than just football. But – that, that, you know, it's what have you done for me lately and what he did for them lately as he talked his way out of town and left them uh, with, with pretty much a dry bone there at the position and at, with this team. And they're just not going to be very good, and they're going to blame Russell Wilson for that. There's no question about that. Well, there was a time when they were chanting Geno last year after Russell Wilson messed up his finger on the Thursday night game against the Rams. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. Part of the dissing of Russell Wilson may include a full-throated embrace of Gino, Gino, Gino. And that'll be kind of a little way to stick it to Russell Wilson if they really show their love for the guy who's the starting quarterback, at least for now. And who knows what's going to happen. As you said, genius move by the NFL to make this the week one game before the Seahawks have their season go sideways and the Broncos frankly when you consider the division they're in and the games they're going to play this year their season could go sideways too this could have been a meaningless game in November it's a very meaningful game right out of the gates Nathaniel Hackett the first year Broncos coach told reporters yesterday they're going to max out the fake noise they use to prepare for that crowd same thing they'll do when they go to Arrowhead and this was a point Sims made yesterday one of the reasons why and there's 10 
road favorites this week. So there are 10 home underdogs. One of the reasons teams are winning on the road, Shireen, they have learned how to adapt and deal with the noise. And Sims is a firm believer that it's a product of having those practices where the noise is unrelenting and they get accustomed to operating in an environment where they just can't hear themselves think. And I've been in a lot of these practices, Mike, where they crank crank it up, and there's been all different kinds of things that coaches have used. They've used, you know, simulated crowd noise. They've used Bruce Springsteen in one case of a particular coach who was a big Springsteen fan. They've used music that the players like. So I am curious what they're using. Are they just using straight crowd noise? Are they using music and, and or something else? Uh, to simulate the crowd in Seattle. And it is, by the way, the loudest stadium in the NFL. So at least the loudest outdoor stadium, it's going to be loud for them. Specifically designed to maximize the noise. It ricochets down onto the field. I was there for the week one game 2014. My God, it's already been eight years. And they were doing some maintenance work on one of the concourses halfway up the stadium. And it was so loud because it was being caught up in that mechanism they've created to take the sound and throw it around and the waves end up coming right down on, especially the visiting team sidelines. So uh, there's, there's not fake crowd noise, but what they've done in Seattle, and they've also done this in Minnesota, and I assume they've done it elsewhere through the construction of the stadium they have created a scenario where the noise gets directed in certain ways and amplified by the bouncing off of the the steel beams and the concrete and everything else. In Minnesota, actually, that sloped roof that they use, the way that it's yeah. set up, it sends the noise straight down to the sideline of the visiting team. So uh, that that's one of the realities that teams have to deal with, but they have found a way to overcome it. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the Cowboys try to overcome their issues at offensive line, specifically left tackle, by bringing in a perennial pro bowler and future Hall of Famer who is backtracking on some of the things he said about the Cowboys in the past. More PFT Live right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Cowboys have plenty of questions entering 2022. No questions about... Michael Parsons, who was spectacular last year as a rookie and who has set the bar very high for himself. Here's what he said about his goals via TheAthletic.com. Last year, I was trying to find myself. This year, I know exactly who I need to be, the best player in the league. I'm not talking about the best defensive player. I want to be the greatest. That's the type of mindset I have and the confidence I have being the best player in the league doesn't mean you're going to have 20 sacks. Being the best player in the league means you're leading your team to a championship and having the best defense. Well, being the best defensive player in the league and being regarded as the best player in the league when you don't have the stats that scream out, you have to be the guy that just is disruptive. Everything you do 
is blowing holes in the line and creating opportunities for other guys to get to the football and make the plays. It may take a better understanding of the game to recognize that Parsons is as great as he is if he doesn't have 20 sacks. But, Shereen, look, I I like the confidence. I think anybody who's going to thrive at the NFL level needs to have that kind of confidence. And they go out and play the games, and we find out who is the best and who isn't the best. But somebody will emerge this year as the best player, and Michael Parsons did enough last year that we at least have to take him seriously. This isn't just some hollow boast. This is a guy who showed plenty last year, and he could become – Maybe the best defensive player in the league. Best player in the league, I, I, he's got some work to do because there's always going to be some great offensive players that people tend to gravitate to. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And as you and I both know, two defensive players have won the MVP award uh, previously, and it hasn't happened in forever um, and in fact, quarterbacks over since Adrian Peterson, what was that, 10 years ago? I think the last yes. nine have been uh, quarterbacks who have won the MVP award. So the best player normally is the quarterback. Heck, a receiver's never even won the MVP award. But I digress. Michael Parsons had one of the best rookie seasons for a defensive player, in my mind, in the history of the NFL. I mean, he was outstanding, 13 sacks. That's why he made first-team All-Pro. It's why he was unanimous as the defensive rookie of the year. It's why he finished second in defensive player of the year voting. And I do think he's a favorite for that award this season. There's two other players who are ahead of him in the odds, and that's Miles Garrett um, and uh, who was the Aaron, Aaron Donald. Donald, of course. We can't forget Aaron Donald. But I think he is becoming that guy who is as disruptive as Aaron Donald is, Mike. And I think he can become that player. I think he can become the best defensive player in football. It's going to take a lot to do that, to pass Aaron Donald in that conversation. But he was outstanding last season, and he's a reason that the Cowboys won that division last year. It's the dynamic that Chris Sims calls F up the play. The guy who completely blows up what the offense is trying to do, even if he doesn't make the tackle, even if he doesn't get a hand on the quarterback, even if he has no ultimate say in how the play ends, his effort to derail the play from the snap is the thing that becomes a critical factor in shutting down an offense. And that's what Parsons has the capacity to do. Lawrence Taylor, 1986, Allen Page, 1971. And in between those two, a kicker won the MVP. Yes, kids, dare to dream. If a kicker can win the NFL MVP award, anything can happen. (laughs) Anything at all. Uh, So that's where Parsons is. But, you know, there's still plenty of question marks with the Cowboys. Let's do a little game of better, worse, or same for this Cowboys team that overachieved last year relative to their expectations. They really are kind of on a roller coaster ping pong thing where good year, bad year, good year, bad year. Expectations high, they fail. Expectations low, they thrive. This year, expectations maybe a little higher than they should be, but we'll take a closer look. Let's start with the defense. Will it be better, worse, or the same as last year in your estimation, Shereen? Well, I'm going to say better, but it's going to be hard to do because they did force 34 turnovers um, and were just outstanding in that category. But you think about, Mike, just two years ago, this was the worst defense in franchise history, gave up the most points in franchise history. And Dan Quinn comes in and completely turns them around very quickly in one year 
And and they're a really good defense. I think they're going to be an even better defense this year, and they're going to have to be to keep this team in uh, in the games. And I think they're going to do that. I don't know if they're going to force as many turnovers, but I think overall they're going to be a better defense. Michael Parsons is going to be a better player in his second year than he was in his first year. They hope to have Demarcus Lawrence for the entire season. Hope he doesn't have those injuries that he had last year when he broke that foot in practice after the season opener. If all those things go right, I think this is going to be one of the best defenses in football this season, Mike. See, I think the defense is going to be worse because there's going to be more pressure on it this year. Because the offense, I think, is going to take a step back. And that's the one thing that we always have to keep in mind. When you assess the defense, you have to keep in mind the offense. When you assess the offense, you have to keep in mind the defense. What kind of pressure is the other unit's shortcomings placing on the one that we're focused on? And I think that the defense is going to have a harder time this year because the offense isn't going to be as potent. And I don't want to spoil my selection, but I'm looking at these categories and I have a feeling worse is going to become a trend for me because I just think across the board, the Cowboys, <laughs> uh-huh. the Cowboys aren't going to be as good as they were last year. And it's mainly on the offensive side of the ball, but I think because of the offensive side of the ball, it's going to make it harder for the defense to be as good as it was last year. So long story short, again, worse. Yeah. And, and you're right about that. And you're right about the offense and it is going to put more pressure on the defense and so they're going to keep them in games, but are they going to be on the field too much and they get tired at the end of the game? That's what we're going to see, Mike. But I agree with you. I think the offense is going to take a step back, which does put more pressure on your defense. Well, and, and if, if your offense isn't scoring points and putting pressure on the opposing offense yeah. to maybe take some chances, it's harder to get those 34 turnovers that they had last year with Trayvon Diggs having all of the interceptions and pick sixes and whatnot. All right, offensive line. Better, well, I think that's worse, an easy or one. same? Oh. Yeah. That's an easy one. It's easy. They're going to be worse. And, you know, I talked about how the defense two years ago was the worst in the NFL and turned around very quickly. It's amazing how quickly this offensive line has gone from the best. And, and at one point, you know, we were thinking they may be the best in NFL history, at least in the conversation with all the all-pro players and potentially Hall of Fame players they have on the offensive line and all of a sudden we're looking at them now and going, it's a shell of itself. And you know, the rookie Tyler Smith's going to have to start at least start the season at left tackle until Jason Peters can get his feet underneath him. But Connor Williams is gone. So that's going to be Connor McGovern at left guard and Lyle Collins is gone. So it's Terrence Steele, an undrafted guy who played pretty well last year at right tackle. And then, What's Zach Martin going to do? Is he going to stay healthy all season? That That's becoming a question with as long and as well as he's played and as many hits as he's taken in his career. So lots of questions for me in this offensive line. And it always comes down, Mike, Bill Parcells used to always say this, you build around your offensive line and your defensive line. And if either one of those is not very good, your team's probably not going to be very good. This offensive line, I think, is not going to be very good. You know, and the epitome of that that uh, position from Bill Parcells over the past 20 years has been the Giants teams that won the Super Bowls in 2007 yeah. and 2011, even though Parcells was long gone by the time that happened. Offensive line, defensive line. It's not sexy. It has no relevance to fantasy football. When the offensive line is good, you notice it less. Isn't that weird? 
the better the offensive yeah. line is, the more the spotlight shines on the guys who benefit from the great offensive line. Back in 2016, when the offensive line was at its peak, it was all about the two rookies who were in the MVP conversation, Dak and Zeke. Dak and Zeke. Why? Because they had full opportunity to take the most that they could from their skills because the offensive line was opening holes and buying time. And that, and I agree with you again, worse, you know, Tyron Smith, it's worse. Tyler Smith, this could be the thing that kickstarts a career that makes him one of the best. He's getting thrown into the fire right out of the gates, sink or swim. And if he, if he survives and thrives, then you've got yourself a great cornerstone left tackle to take over for Tyron Smith. I, I, it could work out perfectly for the Cowboys, but as Jerry Jones said recently, there is a price to pay by relying upon a rookie right out of the gates at that position. The guy's 21 years old. They add Jason Peters at age 40, and here's Tyler Smith at 21. Uh, passing game, which kind of ties with the offensive line, but let's just focus on the pieces of the puzzle here. And I think this is another one that's fairly easy. Better, same, or worse in your estimation, Shireen? Yeah, it is easy. It's worse. And and it's easy to say that when you lose Amari Cooper. And again, I've said this repeatedly, and I'm going to continue to say it, no matter how Amari Cooper does in Cleveland, and I think he's going to do pretty well, but they mismanaged this offseason, and that was the biggest thing that they mismanaged. They got a fifth-round pick for him, Mike. That's not enough. If they had gotten a first-rounder, a second-rounder, something, they gave up a first-rounder to get him. They gotten something of value for him. I might say, okay, that was a good trade, but they didn't. It came down to they did not want to pay the twenty million dollars to a guy that they saw as their number two receiver behind C.D. Lamb, who did lead them in receptions and receiving yards last season. So they didn't want to give him that money. Well, what's happened this off season? Twenty million is not that much for a receiver, and I get it. You think he's your number two receiver. But is C.D. Lamb going to be the same receiver that he was last year without Amari Cooper opposite him? I don't know that. And, and now they're relying a lot of the, on those young guys to step up. They may, they may not. Noah Brown, Jalen Tolbert, Cavante uh, Turpin, who looked good in the return game, all those guys, now they're, they're relying on, at least early in the season, without Michael Gallup, without James Washington, they're going to be putting a lot of pressure on those guys. I just don't think their passing game is going to be very good early on. Shereen, I think the Amari Cooper situation is an example of an organization that makes a decision and refuses or just fails to revisit it. I think when yeah. they signed Amari Cooper to that five-year, $100 million contract, and we instantly saw in the details that the way it works out, it's $40 million over two years, and then he's quite possibly going to be gone. I think they decided at the time they signed him, we're keeping him for two years. We're not going to pay him $20 million in year three. We're not going to pay a receiver that kind of money. We're going to reinvest in other positions or save that money for C.D. Lamb or whoever else is playing receiver. And they just never revisited it. And they were going to cut him. He, he was just going to be released. They found someone that was willing to take on that contract and restructure it. He still gets $20 million this year, but they've restructured it. They've, and that's what the Cowboys could have done. They could have said, we're taking that $20 million, and we're going we're gonna to pay you, you know, a $19 million signing bonus, and we're going to spread it out and reduce the cap hit. And, yeah, I think they just never bothered to ask themselves, where is the market going, and are we making a mistake here, giving up a guy who 
really is worth $20 million in the grand scheme of things. I, I you know, I, I don't want to even try to psychoanalyze Jerry Jones because I'm not sure that it's something that can be successfully done. <laughs> but I just wonder whether there's just a certain amount of resentment over the fact that they paid Dak more than they wanted to pay because they couldn't get Dak to just kind of go along with, you know, they take less. You make, you make plenty of money yeah. off the field as a Cowboys quarterback, so why are you trying to get so much money out of us? And the same thing with Zeke. He held out, and they paid him way too much money, and he'd be gone now but for the structure of that contract. I just can't help but wonder whether or not they just – they were just going to – we're not paying Amari Cooper $20 million. After paying Dak more than we wanted to pay and Zeke more than we wanted, we're just not going to pay the guy $20 million, even if in hindsight or with the application of foresight, they should have realized it was money well spent. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think when they structured the contract as they structured it, they had a plan in mind, and they just stuck to that plan and never even thought this offseason, well, maybe we should reconsider this. Maybe we should keep Amari Cooper and wait and see how the market plays. They, they had just made up their minds, and, and that's what they went with. And it's unfortunate for Dak Prescott and unfortunate for the Cowboys because I don't think they're going to be as good. Even when, when James Washington and Michael Gallup get back, and look, I'm a huge Michael Gallup fan, but he's coming off an ACL tear January 2nd. It wasn't that long ago. I just don't know how good he's going to be this year. They may be better in, in the passing game next year when Michael Gallup's a year away from that injury. But right now this year, I don't think they're better off with, with Michael Gallup in, instead of – Michael Gallup and James Washington instead of Amari Cooper, I don't think they're better off. Echoing a point we made last week talking about the Jimmy Garoppolo contract. Now, again, he was in year five, not year three. Cooper was in year three, and it's more common to have these protections early in a contract. But the reason the Cowboys had to do what they did, that $20 million was yeah. becoming fully Timing. guaranteed early in the league year. That, kids, is one of the benefits of having an early trigger that forces a team to make a decision. The Cowboys had to make a decision. And as we agree, they had made that decision basically the moment they signed the contract and they never bothered to revisit it. And if they were trying to revisit it, they really didn't have it. They didn't have a chance to see what was happening at the market at receiver. They didn't have a chance to see what Devontae Adams was going to get from the Packers or someone else. They didn't have an opportunity to see what happened with Tyree Kill or A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf or anyone else because there was a trigger in March that forced them to get Amari Cooper off the roster before that $20 million became fully guaranteed with no reduction, no restructuring, $20 million on the books this year. All right, uh, penalties, which have been a problem for the Dallas Cowboys and a point of contention and discussion and focus, better, worse, or same this year, Shireen? Well, based on the preseason game against the Broncos when they had 17, I'm going to say the same, Mike. I'm going to say they're going to lead the league again in penalties. And I know, again, going back to Bill Parcells, he said, look, I don't coach penalties, but you got to figure out some way to reduce those penalties if you're the Cowboys. If you're not as good on offense, Mike, you can't have the penalties, particularly the pre-snap penalties where you're killing yourself with false starts and delays of games and all those types of things. If they do that, it's going to be a really long season for this team and not living up to the expectations uh, of Jerry Jones. And I was going to say, I paused, I was going to say the expectation of the fans, but 
the fans are really down on this team. Based on the fans I've talked to here recently, they don't think they're going to do a whole lot. I heard some say a max of eight wins and some others said a max of nine wins. I haven't heard any Cowboys fan yet say more than nine wins. Well, you know, one of the realities of the offseason is you take advantage of the various devices available to you to make your team better, and there just isn't a sense. Anyone who's been paying attention, the Cowboys have done anything dramatic or significant right. to make the team better. Cooper's gone. Randy Gregory's gone. Tyron Smith is injured. There's just a sense that they're just hoping to tread water as it relates to what they did last year. Well, last year, what it got them was a one-and-out playoff appearance. So, um I, I really think, and I, and I know that Jerry Jones has no reason to even entertain publicly the possibility of Mike McCarthy being on the hot seat. I think he is. Everybody knows Sean Payton's available and is ready to come back next year. And if Jerry Jones is ever going to hire Sean Payton, and we know that he tried to in 2019, and they've been linked together for a long time, it's going to happen after this season or not at all. And McCarthy's got a lot of work to do, I think, to keep this job because it is not it is not starting well for the Cowboys. Now, watch. They'll beat the Buccaneers by 20 points, and then everything changes. And, and hey, it's good to have the bar low for every team. Pete Carroll was pushing back on the idea that expectations are low for the Seahawks. You want your expectations to be low because then when you, yeah. when you get to 500, it looks like a win. If the expectations are too high, 500 is a disappointment. I just don't know what reasonable expectations should be for the Cowboys this year. They're going to have their hands full winning the division, and even in a wide-open NFC, they're going to have their hands full making it to the playoffs. We're going to have a draft coming up, Shereen, of teams that have no chance to make it to the playoffs. But what is your gut feeling right now on this Cowboys team as up or down, yes or no, in or out of the playoffs? Um, I did not have them, Mike, on our PFT playoff predictions. I do not have them making the playoffs. And just look at their first six games. They have the Bucks and Bengals at home. If they go 0-2 at home, which I the Bucks probably are the team they have the best chance to beat. I mean, they almost beat them last year in Tampa to open up the season. Then they go at the Giants and Washington should win both of those. Then it's at Rams, at Eagles. They have a chance to start the season, Mike, 2-4. and four. And then... The schedule gets much easier, but boy, you're trying to, to, from that point on, you're trying to dig yourself out of the hole, and it, it, it's just going to be hard with those first six games if they can't pull some upsets there and beat some people that I don't think they'll probably beat. And I don't have them making the playoffs. I do think it'll be in that 8-9 win range. Um, I have the Eagles winning, winning the NFC East and the Cowboys finishing second and not making the postseason. If that happens... Mike McCarthy is not going to be the head coach of the Cowboys the next season. Now, I, I'm putting, as you know, I'm putting my money on Dan Quinn to be the next head coach of the Cowboys, and I think he will be. But Sean Payton is in the conversation for sure. I just think he's going to want too much money, more than Jerry's going to want to pay. I don't think Jerry's going to want to give, give up the draft picks. And I know for certain that Sean will want Jerry Jones to take a step back, and we all know that's probably not going to happen either. Maybe it will. Maybe it'll be like the Bill Parcells situation when he says, my time's running out. I don't have much more time to win a Super Bowl. I'm over 80 years old. Let me go get the guy I think can get it done, and I'm going to go hire Sean Payton. But that's the only way I think that Sean Payton ends up here is Jerry sees that, that as his last best chance to win a Super Bowl. Dan Quinn. Great guy. Awesome defensive coordinator. I don't know that he's your answer in Dallas 
as head coach, but there's only one guy who makes that decision, ultimately, with some influence right. and input from others around him, but it's Jerry Jones. Can we put up the schedule again? There was one thing that kind of jumped out to me as we are on the precipice of the start of the season. That Thanksgiving game in recent years has been a ratings bonanza for the NFL. Yep. I don't know that anybody is going to give two craps about Giants-Cowboys come week 12, Shireen. I think they decided, Mike, that everybody's going to watch no matter what because there's nothing else to watch, but we're going to put that to the test because both of those teams, you look at those schedules, both of those teams could have losing records by them and not be very good. It could be like that Detroit early Thanksgiving game. I mean, two bad teams and, well, what else are we going to watch? But that's going to be put to the test. Why else are we watching? Because it's on TV and we will be watching, but I just – It's not going to be a compelling game, quite possibly, for either team by the time we get to Week 12. Let's take a break, and we'll see where the Cowboys, the Giants, and all the other teams land in the first PFT power rankings. Completely meaningless, but based upon the reaction yesterday on Twitter, holy (laughs) crap, some people got worked up. We'll take a look at the power rankings when PFT Live continues right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 